Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to Season Airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show, I catch up with my favourite London legend and one of White Line's finest writers, the one and only Joy Dutch. Slightly more geriatric than, than <laughs> I'd been promised. Like I've been sold this glittering party town with fountains of Jaeger and rivers of beer running through the streets. Um, and I kind of got there and it was, it was tea and biscuits. <laughs> Recorded back in November, Joy talks us through her season air journey, including her first season in the Dolomites, her summers at Camp America, and her time working for a ski school in Meyerhofen, Austria. Find out how Joy went from questionable chalet host to full-time writer for a leading snowboard magazine, and stay tuned as we hear how stupidity reigned supreme during a close encounter of the serpent kind. Full disclosure, there were a few sound issues on the Zoom calls for season two, but what it lacks in quality, it makes up for in content. If you like the podcast I'm bringing you but want me to hire a sound engineer, you can now donate to the cause via the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And without further ado, here's the show. Joy Dutch, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. I feel honoured. <laughs> it's a pleasure. What have you been up to? Well, um, I'm off work for the next, sort of this week and next. So I've been um, picking up some hobbies. I've uh, started learning to play the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide to uh, start learning to play the saxophone? Um, well, we acquired one last week. I was just like, you know what? I want to learn something new. And everyone loves Careless Whisper. So I thought, yeah, at a party, what better than banging out bloody George Michael on the saxophone? <laughs> and how's that going? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got Deck the Halls down pretty good and the opening one line of Ain't No Sunshine. But yeah, that's about it so, so far. <laughs> yeah, I just want to make a bit of extra money. I'm going to go Christmas caroling this year. Um, oh, yeah? <laughs> people will probably pay me to leave their doorstep. So I think it will be pretty successful. <laughs> what are you going to call your band? Um, I was thinking The Joys of Sax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from in the UK and what are you doing at the minute? I'm from London, um, living in London currently, and I work as a writer for White Line Snowboarding Magazine. And we met a few years ago when you were doing a season in Marhofen, but how many seasons have you done? So I'd put it as three summer and three winter, like proper full working, um, living seasons. What first sparked your idea to live and work abroad? Well, when I was growing up, my cousin actually got a job in the Cayman Islands, which was super cool. And I was just like, wait, you don't have to work here in England? You can go? (laughs) And it was, yeah, it kind of blew my tiny mind. And I was like, okay, I see. What was your original plan? To be honest, I don't really have a plan. I've never really had a plan. I'm more of like a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person. <laughs> um, and honestly, everything in my life that's happened, I've just kind of ended up there. Yeah. There was no sort of conscious, conscious choice to do anything. I just kind of woke up one day and I was in Austria. I was like, okay, I'm there now. <laughs> Did you 
go to uni out of school or did you go straight into seasons? So I actually did go to uni straight out of school. I'd never really wanted to, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of like one of those, oh, you should go, you should try it things. And I didn't really want to go, but I went and ended up in this like crack den in Portsmouth. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it was, it was vile. I think I went to like 13% of my lectures. Like I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. What were you studying? Sports science. No interest in it. No passion in it. I just kind of, you know, you know, you just kind of flick through a list and go, that one. Yeah. (laughs) So I dropped out after my first year of uni and then sort of worked a string of terrible jobs. So one day I was just like, you know, fuck this noise. Like I'm I'm going. And at the time I was working in a taxi firm doing 7 a.m. till 7 p.m., six days a week. And yeah, I just, I told them at the airport on the way to my first season that I wasn't coming in tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I, uh, I assume it was a good decision in the end. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, who knows? If I'd stayed, I could have been like the dawn of a sort of a cab legion by now. But, you know, <laughs> you never know. And where did you head to on your first season? So my first season, I was in the Dolomites in Italy. I was working as a chalet host. I think there was like seven of us working there. And honestly, no one had a clue what was going on. Like, I I don't want to be rude, but we were terrible. Like, (laughs) we, we would just drink all day and then, you know, drink during dinner service. And we honestly, we were really bad. And I'm, I apologize to any guests that stayed there while we were there. Because honestly, I don't think we quite gave them the five-star service they were hoping for. Uh, why did you choose Italy? I think I was on one of those websites like um, workabroad.com or something. And I just applied for like 10 things and they were the first ones to call me back. So I was like, all right. Again, not a conscious choice, not a plan. Um, yeah, they just called me one day at work. They were like, can you fly out in a couple of days? And I was like, yeah. So I just packed up my stuff and went. Nice. And at this point, was it a decision that you were like, I want to go and do a winter season because of skiing or snowboarding? Or had you done much skiing and snowboarding at that point? Yeah. So growing up, we went on a ski holiday sort of once a year, maybe. Um, so I used to ski. And then when I got to like 15, I was like, dad, I don't want to ski anymore. I want to be cool. I want to be a snowboarder. <laughs> um, obviously it didn't work because I'm not very cool. But yeah, I, then I started learning to snowboard and just kind of went with that. And to be honest, I, I didn't specifically pick working in the mountains to ski or snowboard. It was just like, I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to get away. And yeah, it was that kind of time of year that it would make sense to to go into the mountains right okay so it wasn't mountain specific the decision it was just kind of I'll go anywhere that will have me (laughs) I'm still still my my life thing if you have me I'm there (laughs) so you could have been in Ibiza or something well I could I think I would have made a really good shot girl I think so too you know (laughs) wandering up and down the strip with my jubblies out trying to <laughs> lure people into bars exactly you'd be perfect <laughs> um, it's a bit of me that yeah for sure 
for sure. <laughs> so what was your first experience like in the Dolomites? It was a pretty steep learning curve because, you know, they get you have like a week of prep before all the guests arrive. So you have to clean the whole chalet, learn to cook all these meals, sort of get to know the ropes, learn the mountain. Like it was there was a lot to take in in that first week. And I think it all just kind of went in one ear out the other. Like yeah. You know, again, we made it work, but I don't think we did it quite how they had expected us to. <laughs> but no, it was it was an awesome place. Like I I really like the resort compared to somewhere maybe like my husband, like it was a lot quieter. What resort was it? I think it's Alta Badia. Okay. It's like the the area. And it just lovely, like stunning views, really sort of nice riding. Just the kind of vibe was a bit more made in Chelsea, perhaps, like okay. older Michelin style restaurants. Yeah, so you fit right in then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Again, wandering down the street with my jumpers out, luring people into bars. <laughs> oh, awesome. So um, you did your first season and you got some new experiences and met some new people and stuff. So then where did you go after Italy? So after Italy, I came back to the UK for a few months and then I headed out to America to work at a summer camp in Pennsylvania. Ah, cool. Again, I went to this big like fair in London for Camp America and I just kind of, again, turned up and the first person that said they'd have me, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll do that. <laughs> and um, it was for Girl Scouts. Oh, wow. um, and initially I was really worried that they would all be like massive dorks. <laughs> like, you know, like you kind of put two and two together. You think Girl Scouts, okay, it's going to probably be a bit weird. But it was actually really, really cool. I was work- working there in the adventure team. So we'd go on like canoe trips, we'd go climbing, we'd go hiking on the Appalachian Trail. It was, again, a really awesome thing to do. And it's something that I would actually recommend to everyone like I recommended it to my brother and he met his wife there. So Really? Wow. Yeah. So I, honestly, I think um, a summer camp is is one of the coolest experiences that anyone could do. Yeah. We heard from uh, Siobhan actually on one of the episodes. She went into that in quite a bit of detail as well. Did you go through the actual company Camp America to do that? Yeah, I did. Um, I think purely just because it was they sort of sort out all your admin with your visas and stuff. Yeah. And they take loads of your money. So at the end of your first, my, well, my first summer, I walked away with like $12 um, <laughs> profit after like toiling 20 hours a day for four months. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's kind of slave labor. But um, no, it, it's, it's so good. You just get to, again, like a season, you're just in this melting pot of of cultures and experiences and it's it's hard work there's a lot to do all the time and you're kind of always having to be switched on because you know you're responsible for someone's pride and joy but it's fun like I love working with kids and it was just this opportunity to be silly all the time yeah and it was actually an asset like they were <laughs> like wow you're pretty good at this I was like yeah I uh I resonate <laughs> with them on an intellectual level <laughs> <laughs> so are there any experiences from Camp America that's like a memorable experience for you? 
yeah, we did this week-long trip with the kids, like me and two other staff. I think it was like eight or nine kids that we took out of camp for a week. Oh, cool. And you're just totally self-supported. You, you've got to take everything with you. And you hike on the Appalachian Trail for a couple of days and then you canoe for a couple of days. And, you know, you've got to have everything in your back. You've, you've got to be ready for everything. And, like, as we were hiking one day, we came across all these notes on the way up, people being like, snakes ahead, you know, a mile later, <laughs> snakes ahead. And we're kind of like, is this like a code? Is this like a fun trail game that people play? And we'd been warned explicitly, like, do not leave the trail. Like, because if you do, you know, there's no cell service. Like, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like, do not leave the trail. Mm-hmm. So we get to like this patch of rocks and suddenly we see why everyone's written snakes ahead. There's like 25 snakes just like sunbathing on the rocks. Oh my God. And this, and this rocks was like the only way to like, oh God, what do we do? <laughs> and one of my colleagues goes, oh, don't worry. Snakes are blind. So as long as you move slowly, like they can't see you. Um, <laughs> so we were all like, yeah, of course they are. Like, obviously. <laughs> so us and like eight kids, like pink panther in through this snake pit. I'd, we'd heard that there, were, there was these things with copperheads, like super poisonous snakes. So we're like, okay, we're like crawling through this patch of super deadly snakes in the middle of nowhere with eight kids. It all went fine. Like no one got bitten. And then afterwards, our boss had said, what did you do to deal with the snakes? We're like, oh, they're blind. Like it doesn't matter. She's like, no, snake, snakes aren't blind. That, that's, not, that's not the truth. But it was really good that, that we kind of all believed her because we weren't scared. Like, <laughs> obviously, they're blind. Wow. <laughs> That's a very special story. <laughs> I think it's one of those uh, ignorance is bliss, you know? Yeah, yeah. You guys were really lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupidity reigns supreme. <laughs> That is quite a memorable experience and well done for getting the kids through it and not getting bitten. Thank you. <laughs> not recommended to anyone listening. <laughs> yeah, for legal reasons, don't do it. How long were you at Camp America for? Um, so I think I turned up at the end of May and then camp finished sort of the beginning of September and then you've got like a month grace period on your visa to leave. Mm-hmm. So we'd take like our total cumulative $12 savings <laughs> and spend the next month kind of um, <laughs> bumming around America. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. Got to see a lot of places. And because you make friends with a lot of Americans there, it'll be like, oh, come stay at my place or come visit me in college. So, you know, it wasn't like a super expensive month. Like you just stayed with a lot of people and took some hideous overnight buses. But yeah, it's a it's an opportunity to to see the country that you've just seen a really tiny part of the last few months, been in this little sort of bubble. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned from that experience in America? Just sort of a lot of patience. I think you've got to understand that not everyone that you're working with or, or all your kids, like not everyone responds to the same things that you do. So just because you find something really easy or just because you interpret something one way, it doesn't mean that everyone else does. And it makes for a lot easier living if you're, 
you know, you're you're in super close proximity with all these people for for months at a time. So mm-hmm. if you can't get on with them, like you're gonna have a real sort of horrible time. So just kind of be patient and be open to other ways of thinking and doing things. Mm-hmm. What did you do after Camp America? Where did you go next after that? So then I came uh, back to London and I got a job working at TSA, the Snowboard Asylum in Covent Garden. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I think I was cycling on and off doing winters, selling snowboards, summers in camp and kind of pogoed between them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. How did you get that job? Was that just from being around the right people? or That one, just having a little bit of experience snowboarding and, and having done a season. Um, yeah, I, d- I didn't really know anyone there at that point. But yeah, just kind of having a bit of experiences because that's what they're looking for. People, you might not have an incredible wealth of knowledge at that point, but that's not really relevant because that's what they will teach you. Mm-hmm. Um, what they're kind of looking for is someone who's passionate about skiing or snowboarding or climbing or hiking. There, they're looking for someone who's who's got the the mentality, not necessarily this huge bank of knowledge. Cool. And then on from there, where did you head to after that? You went back to camp, did you say? Yeah, back to camp, same place. So did another summer there. I got promoted at this point. Oh, yeah. I was the adventure director. Even after the snake debacle. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They're like, right, zero casualties. Um, Just got to be doing something right. So yeah, I got a promotion and I then became the, the director of adventure. So I was in charge of training people in like safety for, there was a high ropes course, there was a climbing wall. So I was in charge of teaching the staff like the safety drills and instructing them and sort of making the program for the kids because there's several different programs. They could do like water sports, they could do arts and crafts or singing. So yeah, it was kind of like this. You wanted all the kids to do your activity. You wanted to be the cool one. (laughs) um so you're always kind of vying to have the most kids sign up to your course which I won of course (laughs) (laughs) obviously (laughs) yeah so yeah having a bit more responsibility um but still getting to have that sort of stupid goofy summer just being silly and having fun and another 12 dollars in the bank so (laughs) (laughs) cha-ching Um, so when you're at camp, I guess with these jobs, you don't get a lot of free time. No. So you had one day off a week, which was kind of the, the changeover day. And you had one evening off from like six till 10 or something. And you had a curfew, you had to be back. But there was like in this tiny little town, there was like one diner and one like dive bar. Okay. Um, so it wasn't exactly loads to do but it was just nice to kind of get a break and go hang out with your pals without a kid telling you they've peed themselves (laughs) with the money not being good and the hours being pretty long what was it that kind of made you go back a lot of it's through the people like especially the American staff a lot of them have been campers when they're younger and grown up through it and they're like super passionate about it which is really cool Mm-hmm. And you just you just develop such tight bonds with the people that you're working with. They had this; they called it the sisters for the summer. Like it's it's just a really lovely 
place to be and you know being outside all the time just you have responsibilities but not in the same way you'd have responsibilities at home yeah it's just a really sort of freeing fun experience nice and hey that twelve dollars <laughs> can it can buy you know a couple of mcdonald's so <laughs> awesome so after the, your second stint at camp where did you go after that again back to tsa so did snowboards mm-hmm. and then finally pogo sticked one more time back to camp and then after the third and final one that was my often for the third um, stint were you at the same place again did you always go back to the same place same place yeah cool. another 12 dollars in the bank <laughs> you were rolling <laughs> in it <laughs> Honestly, I'd fallen. If I'd have saved it all, I could have had a pretty decent hour in a bar somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, after your third stint at camp, you're saying you went to. I must have done one more winter at TSA. Okay, and then I actually headed to my Hoffen really weirdly in in the summer. I think I arrived in like May for a town that kind of makes its name being a snow place it was a bit weird timing but yeah turned up in Meyerhofen in the beginning of summer why did you choose Meyerhofen one of the boys I was working with actually had been there the previous winter and he was just like dude this is the place to be like you will love it it's just such a bit of you like the vibes the the riding the people because I'd mostly been in France and then my one season in Italy so I'd never really done anything in Austria before mm-hmm. and for some reason I think I was just really sick of being at home after like four months so mm-hmm. I just went in May instead of waiting for <laughs> the ski season <laughs> so you got here in the springtime after yeah. spring riding's just finished and mm-hmm. <laughs> we're heading into summer it must have been a bit of a shock when you got here because it's quite I want to say family orientated place it's more an old people, <laughs> older yeah. generation orientated place. <laughs> yeah, slightly more geriatric than than I'd been <laughs> promised. Like I've been sold this glittering party town with fountains of Jaeger and rivers of beer running through the streets. Um, and I kind of got there and it was, it was tea and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that in the summer here, but it is still fun it's just very uh yeah tea and biscuits (laughs) what did you end up doing for work well um for the most part I kind of lived off savings um oh those 12 12 dollars came in handy (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) me heading down the billet with a handful of coins um but I did manage to get like I think it was three weeks working at this German summer camp like a couple miles down the valley oh really I had to stay in this like creepy old farmhouse and basically it was like a holiday camp for kids but I was the English teacher (laughs) so all the kids would do like they were in like age groups they'd all do like an hour a day of English practice but I'd never taught anything before my English isn't even that great um (laughs) so I'd just kind of make them like listen to music and then write down the words and I'd correct the spelling or we'd watch like a TV show and I'd be like, yeah, just listen along. <laughs> just um, put the TV on. <laughs> Keep them busy. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't really know what I was doing. And at this point, I didn't really speak 
any German, well, you know, a few sentences. And the kids obviously didn't speak that great English. So there was a lot of kind of gesturing and, and pointing. But I think I got like six or 700 euros for it. Um, enough to tide me over. Yeah. Better than Camp America. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I guess then you stayed till winter. Yeah. So I, I think I went home for a couple of weeks just to like drop off my shorts and pick up my jeans. But then, yeah, straight back to Meyerhofen for the winter. Yeah. And quite a different uh, landscape it is in the winter. Totally. I finally got the the river of Jaeger that I've been hoping for. <laughs> Um, but yeah, totally different experience altogether. Totally different kettle of fish. What did you do during that season? At the beginning, I just did flyering for Harakiri. <laughs> yeah, I remember so, that. <laughs> again, strutting up and down Main Street with my jubblies out, trying to pull people into the bar. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really work when it's really cold because you can't sort of uh, <laughs> shimmy and shake. It was actually Carsten, who I was living with at the time. Yeah, the, the first summer I, I lived with Carsten. And then Carsten was working as a snowboard instructor. And he was like, oh, we're kind of looking for some help. Do you think you could come along and kind of help out at the ski school? And then he introduced me to Tanya, mm -hmm. the light of my life, Tanya. <laughs> And then, yeah, basically that just led to me working in the kids' ski school with Tanya, teaching kids how to pizza and French fry all day. <laughs> Did you enjoy that job? It's better than uh, oh. the flyering at Harakiri, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I loved it. It was, it was really, really fun. You got to, again, just be silly all day. And Tanya was great. She was such a great boss. Like, used to help me out a lot, like really kind of took me under her wing with it all, taught me a lot of German, taught me, you know, the basics of, of teaching someone how to, to ski. And yeah, it was really fun. You got to kind of take these kids, like some of them were as young as like two. Um, yeah. They can't even stand up on their own, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really nice. Like you'd ski down with, you know, 12 kids snake behind you. One's a fall asleep against the back of you. You've got one in your arms asleep. Um, one's in between your skis asleep. And you're kind of like trying to be an octopus, like keeping all these kids upright while they have fallen asleep standing up skiing. Yeah, you did have an interesting job as well while you were working at the ski school, didn't you? And this came up in one of the Instagram questions. And uh, it was Bridget who actually asked, how did you enjoy being the ski school mascot? <laughs> <laughs> oh man I think um I tried to block that from my memory no it was, it was kind of cool the suit stunk like it really smelled um, what was it I again it, I can't remember there was loads of them ah. so Tanya Tanya had a whole host of outfits and she'd be like today you're Mickey Mouse today you're Tigger um <laughs> and it was really, really hard to see out of and it stunk to high heaven. And it was right in the winter, but in the sort of when it got to springtime, it was so hot in there. <laughs> and the kids, the kids were like, as soon as, I don't know, of course they don't think it's real, but they were so nasty. Like They'd punch you, they'd try and push you over, <laughs> they'd throw snow in your face. Um, they'd like try and poke in the eye holes and the mouth hole. 
um all the while you're trying to like you know dance around um <laughs> aside from all that horrible stuff you know it was kind of fun and you got to kind of ski down after the ski race and you couldn't see anything so you kind of just had to like point and hope that you weren't going to hit anything or anyone or like a patch of ice or a bump um yeah. I suppose the uh, experience you had at Camp America of just generally being silly came into handy once again <laughs> Totally. Um, I, I kind of spotted a running theme here. Um, <laughs> just, just a bit silly, I think. <laughs> so you kept coming back to Meyerhofen for a few seasons after that, didn't you? Yeah. What kept drawing you back to Meyerhofen? Again, I think it's the people, you know, like everyone who's worked the season can attest to the fact that, um, again, you're in this kind of like really insular bubble you're seeing the same people every day. You're going to the same bars, drinking the same drinks. And you just get develop this real sort of camaraderie with the people that are around you. You know, you're away from your families. Like, you're away for Christmas. You're away for birthdays. You're away for important events. And I think you just get this sort of, like, replacement family around you where you develop a lot closer bonds over a lot shorter time than you probably would in... I say like the real world mm-hmm. um, because you're, yeah, you're just in this bubble of, well, this is it. So let's, uh, let's be there for each other. And, and I think Meyerhofen specifically, the riding's just so good. Like there, there's something for everyone. Some of the best, like I think riding in Europe for sure. Yeah. Um, so there's that pull factor to it as well. Yeah. I think just overall, the experience like once once you're in it's really hard to pull yourself out like you'll know that like yeah I'm still in kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you're still you're still there man. I'm jealous oh <laughs> uh, yeah well yeah it's been a few years now um that you haven't been back actually it? how long has it been since you've been back um I was there spring break 2019 okay and then I was meant to come back a couple times in the 2020 season um, but the trips got cancelled because of COVID. Yeah, haven't haven't been back since then because just haven't really been able to to travel very much. Yeah, what's like the highlights of Meyerhofen for you? Um, I think all the snow bombings were awesome. Uh, you know, just up in the the sort of the grillhof, partying and dancing, and it's nice because it's hot weather. Mm-hmm. And before Emily. Pulled, I think I was dancing on a table and Emily pulled my shorts down and I inadvertently flashed like 200 happy-go-lucky party-goers. Um, which, um, I think there's a picture of that somewhere on the snow, <laughs> on the snow bombing website. <laughs> They'll do anything to draw in a crowd that lot. They're shameless. <laughs> no, I think snow bombings were all really cool. Um, Honestly, I think it sounds really cheesy, but I think every day was a highlight. And I think I realized that more now that I'm not there. You kind of, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and all that. Um, but it was just such a great time. And, you know, there was days when it was really hard work and, oh, God, I can't be bothered to get up. Or I'm really hungover. I'm really cold. You know, every day there was something nice that happened. You got to see one of your friends or, you know, a kid gave you a present at work or 
someone gave you a free drink. You know, there's always yeah. something that that made every day in my office really special. Yeah, awesome. So now you're working for White Lines. How did that happen? How did you go from your last season in my to working for White Lines Snowboard Magazine? Well, I had gone on a trip with White Lines when I was working at TSA, kind of like a, a, te- a board testing week. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 2018 or something. And then kind of went back to work, didn't really think anything would come of it. And then I saw, I think it was on Instagram, I saw a job ad that they posted, but the date for applying had already gone past. So I was like, oh, bummer, like that would have been really cool. I think I shot them an email anyway, just like, hey, I saw your ad. Uh, I know it's past the date. And then they got back to me and they said, oh, yeah, you know, we remember you. We've actually already hired two people for the job but do you want to come in and interview anyway? So I was kind of like, ah, you know, it would be a bit pointless, but you know what? It would be a good experience or at least nice to see these people again. And then I did the interview and you had to do like a test bit of writing that I submitted. This was right around Christmas time. And then, yeah, I got a call, I think just before Christmas or maybe just after Christmas. And they said, dude, yeah, we know we've already filled the two jobs, but we really, we really want you. Oh, cool. When can you start? Oh, amazing. Yeah, which is really cool um, to work at a magazine that I've been reading for years and kind of had always kind of looked up to. It was, it was amazing. Do you have like a speciality that you write about? Nothing specific. I think I've got a, a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. A big part of what we do, I do a lot of the the gear reviews. So boards, boots, binding, sort of testing them, writing about them. But then, you know, I've got, I feel quite lucky. I've got quite a lot of free reign in terms of what else I write, like culture pieces, a lot of piss take pieces. (laughs) Like, um, you know, I wrote a piece, Black Runs Are Shit. And kind of defined what I think, you know, you're a bit of a sociopath if you love black runs um you know I wrote what your snowboard says about you yeah I saw that one actually because you had the Solomon Gypsy on (laughs) (laughs) did you feel personally attacked I felt personally attacked I did yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you enjoy that job then you enjoy it white lines totally I just get such free reign and the white lines tone of voice is a very sort of tongue-in-cheek so you know, it's not like I'm writing about the Gaza Strip for the Guardian and I have to be really serious. And yeah, <laughs> it is it is more like just dick about and, and write silly things and go on cool trips and, you know, make lists of the stupidest snowboard products I've ever seen. Yeah, sounds like a nice company to work for. Oh, totally. Super chill. Everyone's really nice. And, you know, we've been working from home since the pandemic, really. But even when we were in the office, it's not like you got to wear a suit and tie and they don't take themselves too seriously. And they let us all kind of do what we're best at, which um, is cool. That's cool. Yeah. And it must also kind of give you the best of both worlds as well, because you get to go on snowboard trips. Totally. Yeah. So I didn't realize quite how many trips there are. And, you know, because some of them are press trips, some of them are trips for events. Some of them are like industry trips. 
but yeah, they're all different. And but you get to go to so many cool places, especially the industry trips. You're with all these like big dogs in the industry, you know, ex pro riders, current pros, and just people that you've kind of always looked up to. Mm-hmm. And they're stood there like offering you a beer and, and chatting, and you're kind of like, oh, hi. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> starstruck <laughs> yeah totally were there any plans that you had that got changed because of the pandemic yeah so a bunch of stuff got scuppered because of the pandemic a bunch of trips to Europe I was quite lucky actually I got out like four times before it hit mm-hmm. but I've been kind of worried it's my fault the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> don't know if it is your fault mate but <laughs> hear me out here. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I was traveling I was in Thailand December 2019 like a few months before it hit and my layover was in a little place in China called Wuhan oh, um, <laughs> that we'd never heard of before we were kind of like oh fine had to stay the night there spent you know quite a bit of time in Wuhan and then when we got back, like two weeks later, you see on the news, Wuhan virus, the epicenter of this deadly global pandemic. And I was like, oh, shit, I was just there. Have I brought something back? <laughs> oh Am God. I a patient zero? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I might have been COVID patient zero in, in Europe. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I think it, I think it came here before it hit the UK. So I don't know. Yeah, did you then go to like? <laughs> did yeah. you go to Ishkul? Was it you? Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry, guys. No. Um. Yeah, because it really swept through my often, didn't it? Yeah, it was like in Italy, and then it came across here pretty quickly. But yeah, it did it got everyone? It was nuts. <laughs> yeah. So I should just move on to the questions that I kind of ask everyone. Is that all right? You got time? Yeah. I nothing but time for you, G. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if someone was planning to only do one season, where would you recommend them to go and why? So here I, I think it's a little bit biased, but I would probably genuinely say Meyerhofen or potentially Morzine. But out of all the resorts I've been to, I think it's it has got something for everyone. You know, from beginner up to expert, ski, snowboard, if you want to do off-piste, if you want to do sort of side country, if you want to do park, you know, there is something for everyone in terms of the riding. And then, you know, if you're a party animal, there's parties. If you want to eat nice food, there's great restaurants. And I think because it's a small town, you can walk everywhere and you kind of know everyone and every bar. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the the smaller size of it compared maybe to somewhere like Morzine is probably the bonus of it. Did you do a season at Morzine or is that just from trips that you've done there? No, I've just been there a, a bunch over the last few years. Mm-hmm. What was your best and worst jobs throughout your seasons and why? Can I say the same answer for both? <laughs> um, yeah, you can. And it was it was working in the, the kids ski school, you know, because on the days when it was good, it was really good. I got to drive that snowmobile train and kind of um, razz around. I was definitely the golden child. Like Tanya loved me, so I could I could do no wrong. <laughs> it was my best job because, you know, when it was going good, it was so, so good and so fun. And I could kind of just get away with murder. <laughs> it was also my worst job 
because when it went bad it went really bad like if you're out with the kids and one of them decides to ski off the side of the piste you've got to be like right you 12 kids stay there I'm gonna go rescue this one kid by the time you get him up another one's gone down you know it can be very difficult especially when you've got large numbers in your group mm-hmm. especially if you don't speak all of their language yeah um it can be very difficult um and you know there's kids they they pee themselves they <laughs> fall asleep you know they 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 can be rude they can be nasty but yes yeah, so it was my best and worst job mm-hmm. good answer and what do you prefer winter or summer seasons gonna have to say winter I think just because by the time if you're doing the full winter you kind of get a mini summer season if you stay out in kind of April May Mm -hmm. you know it'll be hot you get your suntan (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I think winter which was your favorite season and why I think my second year in my often was awesome because I'd moved out of that horrific apartment that I shared with Lisa <laughs> it was just the apartment was horrible you know I knew my way around the town we had a really cool gang of, of pals we'd hang out with I seem to remember the snow that year was absolutely killer like we got so many powder days but then so many sort of bluebird days mm-hmm. yeah I think that one and of all the places that you've been to even on your trips for White Lines or the Snowboard Asylum where is your favourite place to ski or snowboard? I think probably Whistler to snowboard is just the the terrain and like the vastness of it is fantastic. Plus, just the the town itself is is incredible. Um, like we got there and there was heaps of snow. We had this like professional guide with us, so got to see like all the really really cool parts of the mountain. So I think yeah, Whistler is up there. Cool. And in your opinion, what's the best thing about season life or being a seasonaire in general? Probably the fact that you are in this incredible melting pot of different people, you know, people from all different parts of the world, from all different walks of life. And you're kind of all being thrust into this. I keep referring to the bubble, like you're all part of this and it doesn't matter who you are, like you're all having to live this same life you're in this sort of weird middle ground like you're not quite a local but you're not a tourist Mm -hmm. so you're kind of privy to things that you wouldn't get if you're just there on a week's holiday yeah you get to know people and places in kind of like an intimate way that you wouldn't get elsewise definitely Can you tell us about a challenge or difficulty you faced during your season journey and what did you learn from it? Well, referring back to that hovel that Lisa and I lived in, like I learned that you can cook absolutely anything in a frying pan. (laughs) Like anything. (laughs) All we had was a hob, no microwave, no kettle, no oven, no toaster. All we had was a single hob and a single frying pan so boiling water for tea in the frying pan toast in the frying pan a pizza frying pan with a plate over it like there there is no foodstuffs on this planet that I realistically think you cannot cook in just a single frying pan (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, you work with what you got. Improvise, adapt, overcome. I'm looking forward to the frying pan cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's one thing you wish you had known before going on your first season? I probably wish I had known a little bit more about moderation. Genuinely, I think my first season, I wasted so much time just in bed, hungover or spending all day boozing or um, rather than getting out on the slopes. I think you don't have to go nuts every day. Like it's going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. I wish I'd exercised a bit more brain power and thinking you know not every day's a nuts um crazy occasion you know yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. you can just chill out <laughs> yeah can you think of any opportunities that stand out to you that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't have left london to go and live and work abroad honestly i think the the one that that stands out to me the most is the the freedom to kind of like totally be myself Mm-hmm. It might have, I didn't have to come out I didn't have to say oh I'm gay I like girls like I didn't ever have to tell people like people didn't know me they didn't have a preconceived notion of me they didn't they hadn't grown up with me so it wasn't difficult to kind of like totally embrace that part of myself like mm-hmm. I didn't have to go through that like awkward phase of oh should I tell people yeah it was just it was just kind of it wasn't even a thing like yeah yeah just accepted for who you are yeah yeah I think that was something that it wasn't like my family and friends at home were like bigots or anything and they wouldn't have kicked me out or they probably knew anyway but (laughs) (laughs) I just it was really nice and refreshing to not have to worry about that whole awkward phase of telling people because I didn't have to tell anyone. No one, no one knew me. No one expected anything of me. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's just my often specifically, but everyone was very accepting and kind, and welcoming. Like no one ever made it weird. You yeah, know. Yeah. Which I think if I hadn't have left London, I would have come to this place eventually. Like in terms of myself, but I think it would have taken a while longer. Yeah. Oh, so nice. <laughs> finally a serious answer. Yeah, I'm like, I didn't know you had it in you. <laughs> oh, I, I have got that. a silly answer as well. Go on then. <laughs> One thing that I don't think I ever would have seen is an American kid's butthole. Like, <laughs> genuinely, I had this American boy and his brother, like maybe like seven and ten, and I was. They were like hey, missus, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me, you know, I took them there. I'm not going in with them, it's weird. Is that here? In my hoffin, yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, the toilets, um, the toilets by the Penkin barn, yeah, like yeah. underneath it. He's like, I can't get my mittens off. <laughs> so I was like, right, I'll help you get your mittens off. And he's like, I can't undo my zipper. <laughs> okay, I'll undo your zipper. So basically, undress this boy, not fully, and then say, right, go into the cubicle. He's like, can you come in with me? But no, too far, mate. Definitely <laughs> not. And then at the end, I'd like, shout when you're done, and I'll kind of zip up your jacket and everything. And like, a couple of minutes later, he shouts for me. So like, okay, I go in. <laughs> and he stood, like, bent over, head between his legs. And I just see straight, like, at his butthole. And he's like, is it all gone? <laughs> 
like, uh, and it wasn't. And I was like, yeah, pull your trousers up, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you can cut that out if you want to. I just feel like if I've had to experience it, you do as well. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout all your travels, which place feels most like home? I think two places definitely stand out for me. I think my often obviously like a home away from home. You know, the people, the places, the experiences I had there in myself kind of will always, it will be a special place in my heart. God, that was cheesy. <laughs> um, but there was this this phrase that the summer camp I was working at and it, it was always going to camp is going home, uh-huh. which again, a bit cheesy, but um, yeah, I, I developed some really close friendships there, met some great people. And I think, yeah, those two places are, are two places that, you know, wherever I am in the world, I'll always sort of think about those as as really meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. When you're away, what do you miss most about your home country? <laughs> Is it really like cold hearted of me? Like, I know the answer is meant to be like my friends and my family. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I love them all and, it, and it's so great when I'm with them. But I think when I'm away, especially doing work abroad or seasons like I'm just so focused on like in the moment yeah you get caught up that I don't really yeah that you know that's the world I'm living in at the moment and then when I go home that's the world I'm living in I don't yeah really think of people that I'm not with oh god <laughs> I sound horrible <laughs> is there actually um, anything that you miss yeah McDonald's nuggets in Austria taste different they taste different in America they taste different in Italy it's different in every country so they're not quite as good as the home nuggies ah, okay so UK is mm. the best nuggets in McDonald's in your opinion in my opinion whoa. but I am right whoa big statement <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would it be I think probably stop comparing your journey to other people's journey there's no checklist for for success or for happiness like you don't have to sort of look across at someone else's work to see if your answers are right if you're Mm. happy with how you've worked it out was that something that you you were worried about picking the right path or yeah I mean my whole family teachers like my mum's a teacher my dad's teacher my brother's teacher my sister's teacher everyone all our family friends are teachers and then when I didn't become a teacher I was kind of like oh shit like I'm such a loser like I can't even I can't do that or especially when you're younger and you're a bit insecure you kind of look at what everyone else is doing and think oh god I'm so behind or I think social media really exacerbates this problem as well you know everyone's posting snippets of their incredible moments but mm-hmm. you don't post a picture of you eating what's it's watching tv you know which yeah. is a, a realistic part of your life but or my life anyway, I love what's it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think if I, my piece of advice to myself is like success and, and happiness, they're not tangible. Like there's not a, a certain thing that you'll get that will sort of earmark you as a really successful person. It's it's more like your experiences and, and your, your happiness within yourself is what's going to sort of guide you through things and, and affect you the most. Yeah. 
on the topic of advice, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? So the best piece of advice I've ever been given, I think, is just stop, take a second, take it in, have a deep breath. Not everything has to be a thousand miles an hour. Like, just take a second, chill, carry on. I think that's something that can be applied to, like, every part of life. Like, you're in an argument, take a second, compose yourself. You're upset, take a second, have a think. You know, you're in the middle of a crazy party, take a second. Should you really have another, you know, like, it's something that I think applies to absolutely everything. And the worst piece of advice I've ever been given, hands down, is that clear liquor doesn't give you a hangover. (laughs) Because that is a big fat lie because <laughs> it does so if you're listening to this and someone's told you that they're lying to you and they want you to suffer <laughs> and also that snakes can't see <laughs> oh yeah of course um both life-threatening things I think <laughs> um we talk a lot about mentors on the show uh, since it came up in episode one have you got any mentors that have helped you along in your journey? Uh, two, actually, yeah. So one, definitely Tanya in Meyerhofen. I think she's just like so sort of motherly. Yeah. She really took me under her wing and sort of helped me through working there and taught me German and introduced me to her friends and gave me sort of even life advice, man. She's like sage wisdom. Yeah, she's um, awesome. Yeah, so I think definitely Tanya. And then the other one is Jeremy Sladen from the Snowboard Asylum. Yeah, that that was kind of my break into this world, working there. If anyone knows him, they'll know like he's the godfather of UK snowboarding. Like <laughs> he's, the, he's the Don. Oh, and okay. um through him, I just got to go on a lot of incredible trips and, and meet a lot of incredible people, make contacts in the industry. And through working with him, like I learned so much about the other side of snowboarding, like the, the gear-based side, like how to build a snowboard, why a snowboard performs the way it does, why having a bit of camber does this, or, you know, we had a carbon rod here for this. Like it gave me this vast wealth of knowledge um he knows everything about snowboarding yeah through him I got to you know do photo shoots and go to cool places and and meet people so definitely he taught me so much about snowboarding in general so yeah definitely big up Jez (laughs) and he was your boss at the snowboarder side wasn't he yeah like the top dog awesome do you have any quotes or sayings that you live by these ones are from my mum, actually. She is, again, full of wisdom. And every time I would leave the house, since when I was really young, my mum would always say to me, be happy, be healthy, be safe. And I think it's a really cute, nice yeah. mantra to live by because I think, you know, it addresses your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health. So, yeah, it's just like, it's kind of that stop and take a second thing of, think what makes you happy what makes you healthy and and stay safe and she also yeah always says what's for you won't go by you (laughs) that's a good one too yeah one of those things that don't be upset if you didn't get the job or you got dumped or you know if it's for you it's coming to you that's excellent advice what's your mum's name marie shout out to marie (laughs) big up marie 
<laughs> and do you have any books, movies, or publications which you can recommend to our listeners that helped you on your path? Or can you name one thing that's inspired you recently? Well, publications I can recommend to your listeners. Uh, White Lines magazine, definitely. <laughs> it is full of interesting and inspiring articles. But in terms of books, I think a lot of books I inspire senses of adventure, like The Hobbit, I think is a really good one for adventure. Walden by Henry David Thoreau, Huck Finn, Mark Twain, all books about, you know, grabbing adventure and sort of seizing that inspiring part of yourself that you just want to go away and, and do something fantastic. And yeah, I think that is. What's one myth about seasonal life that you would like to debunk? <laughs> that it's a healthy lifestyle. Like everyone thinks, oh, you're exercising every day. You're out in the mountains with a fresh mountain. I came back from my hop and I was jaundiced. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I hadn't eaten a vegetable in like five months. It was just pure beer. It's not a healthy life. Well, I think it's a healthy lifestyle if you make it a healthy lifestyle. But um, other than that, it's all true. Fair enough. <laughs> the myth is that it's for reprobates because everyone that goes on a season is lovely and it, it teaches hard work, you know. It teaches you, you know, it's not just for dossing about. Like, you have to work hard. You learn a new language. You have to jump into a new place and learn about a new culture. So I think it is definitely for hardworking people. But everything else is true. <laughs> 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 right so I now have to ask you Mark Lender's favorite question my mum's favorite question uh what's one thing you take with you everywhere you travel or do you have any travel hacks well Mark Lender I would have to say it's Marmite like yeah. can't live without it you know bread's bread in every country butter's butter in every country but there is no replacing that thick yeasty goodness <laughs> <laughs> So a stash of Marmite then? Definitely. How many Marmites would you get for a season? One really big one, because I'd ration myself. <laughs> but normally I'd have to get an emergency parcel sent due to excessive miting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, any travel hacks? I don't think it's so much a hack. I think it's just common sense. But get a comfy pair of travel trousers. The amount of people I see on a on a plane in jeans, that's wrong. That that's weird. Like get a pair of comfy travel trousers because it gets cold on there. You don't want to be restricted, you know. So yeah. I don't think it's a hack. I think it's more common sense. Yeah, yeah. For you, what was the biggest lesson learned from living and working abroad? I think there's no end to the kindness of strangers especially with the locals like these people don't know you they don't owe you anything and yet I didn't really ever once have a really bad experience with with someone I think and especially say you come for your first season you don't know anyone and there's always going to be someone at a bar somewhere who'll have a chat with you introduce you to their friends I kind of learned that you know you don't have to be scared of people like people are a lot kinder and nicer than we kind of give them credit for in our heads. Yeah. Also probably moving around a lot, you kind of just learn that things are just things, like stuff Stuff is stuff. Like it's the people that matter, like your objects that you own, like they're not important. 
you're not going to think about them in five years. So yeah, stop putting such value on like just items. Yeah, just stuff. Yeah. Is there anything that season life has brought to your current life? Uh, perspective, I think. Looking back now, I can see like, God, I had such a great time. But it probably also wasn't super sustainable. Yeah. My way of living, I think. <laughs> that, that doesn't apply to everyone. And also this, like, you know, an, an acceptance of myself and the ability to to sort of be introspective about my life. I think that's a very special thing that that time in Meyerhofen gave to me. A, a sense of internal chill. Mm-hmm. And also just the fact that I got loads of partying done really early on. <laughs> so now <laughs> I can kind of go, ah, I can be chill now. Yeah. <laughs> Not such party animal these days then. Yeah, I got it out of the system. If you hadn't gone and done your first season, what do you think you'd be doing right now? To be honest, I really believe that I'd be doing the same thing. It's that whole what's for you won't go by thing. But I think I would have wormed my way here <laughs> somehow. <laughs> like I can't, I can never envisage a life where I'm like working in an office or you know, working as a teacher, like I don't ever think those were things that were going to happen for me. So yeah. by some weird twist of fate, I would have been sat here talking to you right now. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the questions that were put on the Instagram. Oh God. There were some sensible questions. So I, well, half sensible. It's still <laughs> half. <laughs> um, so Bridget obviously asked we mentioned that back along about being the ski school mascot, but she also asked, what do you always bring in your jacket pocket? A little bottle of Jaeger all the time. Yeah. The, the bigger, the better. Stop off at Villa before heading to the, the gondola, fill up your pockets and uh, swig on the chairlift. Yeah. That's what she thought you were going to say. Wendy said, does your diet still only consist of margarita pizza, garlic bread and chips? <laughs> and clearly nuggets. <laughs> It's my beige banquet, baby. You know, the blander, the better. It mostly still does. But my girlfriend now is a really good cook. And she's been encouraging me to eat vegetables. Like I had an onion the other day. Um, just my next, Just a whole raw onion. I ate it like an apple. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm, I'm veering away from that slowly. But yeah, basically it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you were saying there at the end of your last season, you were jaundiced because you didn't eat a vegetable for months. And I was thinking, that's because you don't eat vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had scurvy, okay? <laughs> Caitlin said, how do you remain one of the coolest kids out there? And also, how do you find working in the snowboard industry from the UK? Um, to answer your first question, Caitlin, um, <laughs> I'd throw that question right back at you. Second question, it's definitely got its challenges, especially over the last year or so with COVID, like we're not being able to travel out to events. The plus side, I'd say, is we have this incredible network of uh, like photographers, videographers that we can work with around Europe and around the world. But the cha- I think the main challenge is that we can't go snowboarding every day. 
yeah. which um, kind of sucks, but it does make it more special when we do get to go out there. But yeah, pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. It sounds like you really enjoy your job, so. Totally. Hopefully you'll be able to get out on some trips soon. So back to my questions. If you were in my shoes, what's one question you would have asked that I didn't? See, this is a difficult one because I think you've you've asked really good questions. Oh, that means a lot coming from you because this is what you do for a job. <laughs> I do, yeah. How do you find it? I get really, really nervous before interviewing people, especially if, if it's like a big pro or something. So I always have to have like a beer before I go on, like loosen myself up a little bit. Yeah. Especially when you have to transcribe it all, like listening to the sound of your own voice. It makes me gag. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hate it. And it's worse when it's on video. Like, yeah, I've had to do quite a lot of presenting. But it's especially when it's online and people can leave comments and everything bad you're thinking. <laughs> Someone's going to say it. Like, someone commented on our YouTube, she looks like Rami Malek. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like I kind of took it as a compliment, but you know, they actually said that. Yeah, so I look like an Egyptian man. (laughs) (laughs) We've gone through pretty much everything now, so we're just going to round up with the last few questions. Is there anyone you would like to nominate to come on the show and have a chat with me? There's a girl who works in Lax. I forgot her name. She's an Icelandic park shaper in Lax. Ah. And she's like the coolest person I've ever met, but I can't pronounce her name. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you it. Like she works as a park shaper in the best park in Europe. She rides for Lobster. She knows the Helgesons. Like she's dope. Okay. Anyone else? Rob McCreth, our editor at White Lines would be a good one. He's done a bunch of seasons. He is a Basie trainer. So he trains the people doing Basie courses. He's worked all over the world. He's a very accomplished snowboarder really good writer cool and he's got a scottish accent which always sounds great yeah do you reckon he'd be up for it yeah i'll make him awesome so you've got the new white lines annual coming up tell us a little bit about what to expect from that so we had a bit of a hiatus from print uh, a few years ago and then we dropped white lines one two one two years ago we missed the year because of covid but yeah this uh, in a couple of weeks actually We'll be launching White Lines 122. Mm-hmm. It is a, like a really fancy sort of coffee table style book. It's packed full of interviews. You know, we've got Haldor Helgeson. We've got like a real deep dive into JP Walker, which is super cool. We've got Ben Ferg. We talked to Travis Rice about natural selection. I actually had a really sort of insightful interview with Kennedy Deck about inclusivity in snowboarding, be that gender, be that queer riders, be that people of colour, which is a really cool chat and I'm really excited to get that out there. Oh, cool. So yeah, great photos, good interviews, good articles. So yeah, pick it up when it comes out and if you see me around town, I'll I'll sign the cover. No, I'm (laughs) kidding, I won't. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Cool. So what else is next for Joy? Have you got any other projects or anything coming up? I think one thing that I'm, I'm passionate about continuing is our Luminaries series, which is kind of highlighting women in snowboarding, not necessarily athletes, but more, you know, people behind the scenes. You know, it's something that I think we're really 
keen to push is is women's content in in general. So uh, you'll be seeing the next instalment of the Luminary series popping up um, next year. I got some trips in the bag coming up. Um, I think I'm heading to Ukraine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to make a chicken Kiev joke (laughs) while I'm in Kiev. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to continue with my saxophone. Hopefully I'll get careless whisper down by the next time that we talk. Yeah, get some Christmas caroling going on, some doorstep gigs, <laughs> the joy of sax. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm definitely going to head out to Meilhofen soon and catch up with everyone. Yeah. I have a pint of Thatcher's Gold in, in Mike's sports bar with you. It's going to have to be a Magnus. There's no Thatcher's Gold here. You've, you've drank the Valley Dry. <laughs> So where can people find you on social media or where can they see your work? My work is on whitelines.com. My Instagram is at Joy Dizzle. I also run an anonymous pizza rating Instagram. Do you actually? Yeah. (laughs) I anonymously rate pizza. (laughs) So if you want to check that out, it's um, at Lil Pizza Pilgrim. But keep it on the on the low low. Don't want Papa John finding out it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I eat a lot of pizza, so I might as well start sort of chronicling my journey through it. So yeah, all my mozzarella menage a trois. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that rounds up all of my questions. Actually, just one closing question: If you had one piece of advice for someone who was going to go out and do their first season, what would one piece of advice be? I think it, it's got to be like jump in with both feet. Don't half-ass it. Like if you're going out there, go out there, immerse yourself in the culture, eat the foods, talk to the people, try and learn a bit of the language. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Otherwise, you know, you might as well have stayed at home and, and gone to Weatherspoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been so much fun to catch up and I really appreciate you giving me the time. So yeah. Love you long time. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been nice to be a little bit introspective and to talk seriously, but then a lot of not seriously as well. (laughs) It has been an absolute pleasure. Joy Dutch, ladies and gentlemen. That girl cracks me up. Thanks again to Joy for coming on the show today. White Lines 122 is available now, so you can check that out via the link in the show notes. Don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and remember to hit the subscribe button on your podcast player to get all new releases of the show as they come out. Once again, a big thank you to Mike at Mike's Sports Bar for the studio space. Thank you to Mondo Wave for the music, and thanks to you guys for tuning in. See you all again next time. Come on, don't give me that. No, not on there, not on air. <laughs> oh God, now everyone's going to know my secret's been exposed. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. For legal reasons, that yeah, was a joke. <laughs>